Our scripture reading comes from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. Let's read God's good word together. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had a friend who got everything they wanted? Do you remember what that was like? I had friends who, whenever I was growing up, they would get everything, everything they asked for. And my parents did not give me everything I asked for. But I mean, whenever any time a new video game system came out, they got it. And so whenever Nintendo 64 came out, they got one of those. And then Sega Dreamcast came out, and they got that too. And then PlayStation and PlayStation 2. I know my chronology is a little rough there. But they got every single one. And, and I wanted that so badly. And my parents were like, yeah, you can absolutely have that. Just go out and buy it, and it's yours. But what do you say about people like that who get every single thing that they want? They're what? They're spoiled right? Because we know that getting everything we want isn't good for us. Whenever we're um, just overly indulged, it, it turns us into, you know, it, it shapes us in a way and, uh, and has a negative effect on, on our character. Also, in a completely unrelated note, what do you call it whenever you get everything you want? Lucky, right? I call it satisfied. And it is completely unrelated to that first thing that we talked about, right? That's how we think. There's all of this stuff, and if I just had it, right, then I would be content. If I just had a few more square feet in my house, then if I, or one or two more closets, or if someone would just come in and get rid of all of this stuff that I've jammed into my existing closets, if, if we just had, a, you know, a few more things, I'd be satisfied. It would be enough. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm Pastor Brandon Blackston. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, I did not turn... There we go. And, uh, and so we're in the midst of a sermon series called The Lord's Prayer, and this is week two. Last week, Pastor Mark uh, started us off, and uh, we talked about the first line of the prayer, um, our Father who art in heaven. And, um, and so last week, what we talked about was, um, was this is the only place in all the scriptures. We see Jesus praying many times throughout the scriptures, but this is the only place where he says, pray like this, is whenever he's teaching his disciples the prayer that we've, become, that we've come to call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father in other traditions. It's the 
the only prayer that he tells um, them to pray this way. And so this is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's um, the NRSV translation that came out in 1989. Many of you know this in the King James language, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But, uh, but that's the way that we say it. And what Pastor Mark taught us about that is God is the Father of all nations and peoples not just some of us, uh, not just the ones that we like, and not just our personal father, right? It's not just my father who art in heaven, it's our father. And that our is a lot bigger than just the people who are in the same roof or even the same town or even the same nation. It's all peoples and nations, Republicans and Democrats, and even Russians and Ukrainians, all of us, not just a few. And uh, I love the way that Reverend Adam Hamilton puts it. He says, we live in a world that is focused on my, mine, and me, But Jesus teaches us to pray our, us, and we, to look beyond just us. And that's a word that we need because I don't know about you all, but sometimes I like to live in this place I call the kingdom of me. It's it's a pretty, well... It's an interesting place, let's say. It's, uh, and if there were just a few alterations, it would be amazing. If I just got a few more of the things that I want, then it would be great. But, but we all tend to live in that place sometimes, of thinking you know, just about the things that affect me, my family, the people I care about. And, and, and really, if we're not careful, we can make that the whole focus of our lives. What are the things that I have? What are the things that I want? And so I wonder if you think about it, you know, what, what is your life all about If you look at the way you spend your time, if you look at the way you spend your money, if you look at where your focus and attention are, what is your life all about? Because in the society that we live in, it's all too easy to make our lives about accumulating, about about our comfort, about getting our pleasure, getting pleasure and getting status, about having you know controlling the way that people think about us. It's about getting all of those things, and too often our primary concern just becomes accumulating more and more for me and for mine. And uh, as we just noted with regard to other people, that has a negative effect on our character whenever we get everything that we want, whenever we get stuff that's just all about us. And it can even lead to selfishness. It can lead to lack of empathy, inability to empathize. I got everything I need. Why can't they just take care of themselves? Why don't they just have it together like I do? That's, that's pretty self-deceptive, but uh, sometimes we go there. I find myself there sometimes. And it can even lead to violence. Because I'm so focused on getting what I want, I'm so focused on getting what I need, and you're the obstacle to that. And if that's really what I'm focused on, then whatever it takes to get that, I might find myself doing. And, you know, particularly when we think about the things that are going on in the world, the conflict in Ukraine, the the Russian invasion, it's easy to look and to say, you know, evil is something that happens out there. People who do those kinds of things are out there, and I would never do something like that. Well, thankfully, I've never had the kind of power where that would be an option to do something like that, but but I I think this line is is so important for us to hear right now. It's from um, the writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says, the line separating good and evil passes not through state nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. He reminds us that it's, it's easy sometimes to look at the map and, you know, just kind of trace the borders. And, and on this side, they're evil. And on this side, they're good. And on this side, there are allies. And on this side, there are enemies. But what he reminds us is that each of us has the capability of doing evil. Each, each of us has the capability of giving in to hatred and if pushed far enough, even to violence. And, and so 
it's, it's really important for us to recognize that tendency, to recognize that tendency towards sin in each and every one of us and to eliminate it. And uh, whenever I, I shared with the folks that on Ash Wednesday, uh, uh, there's a Christian who works in Ukraine. One of the things that he said is we have to, to, to kill the enmity, to kill the hatred first in ourselves, to recognize it in ourselves and then to eliminate it before we have any hope of sharing peace in the world. And, and so that's absolutely vital for us. And, and here's the other thing. Not only that, but if we're only focused on me, my, and mine, we'll never be able to get enough. There, there's no amount that we'll finally get whenever it's enough. Because as Dallas Willard says, desire only leads to more desire. It's just like potato chips. Like you eat one, anyone's satisfied? No, you're not satisfied. You're going to eat the whole bag until you feel awful. See also ice cream. I mean, that's how it works. You don't just eat a little bit, and, it, and the money works the same way. Like, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? If, I had, if my net worth were about 50% higher, I would be good, and then you get there, and you're not good, right? Just a little bit more is never enough. We don't ever get there. And, and so how do we get past that? How do we get beyond that? Because we don't ever get happy. We don't ever become happy trying to get more. We don't get, become happy trying to just get enough for me. That's what we can learn from the prayer that Jesus prays from the next line of the Lord's Prayer. And, and where does that go next? Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come. And, and so he starts out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But basically, it's, it's almost a, kind of a word of praise to begin the prayer. And um, he teaches them to start that way. And then he also, he, the next thing that he instructs them to pray is for God's kingdom to come. And all of that happens before asking a single thing for themselves, right? They don't start the prayer, first ask for your daily bread, and uh, then ask for forgiveness. No, it starts with praising God, and then it goes next to asking God for God's kingdom to come, saying, saying basically, God, bring your kingdom. And so this is the next line in the NRSV, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that, of course, is what thy means, right? It means your. We're praying not my kingdom come, but God's kingdom come. And, uh, and whenever we read through the Gospels, whenever we read about Jesus teaching, the kingdom of God, or in, the, in Matthew's Gospel, sometimes he uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven. That's the focus of Jesus' teaching and ministry. That's what he's all about. Because, and because that's, that's what he came to bring in, is to share the kingdom of God. And one of the things that, that we know, maybe you know this, none of us, well, I'm, I'm generalizing. I've never lived in a monarchy. Maybe a few of you have. There are some still in the world today. But one of the things about kingdoms is that kingdoms reflect the values of their rulers. If, if something is important to the ruler, that, that is borne out into the kingdom. And so uh, you may remember a guy named Henry VIII. Um, he was the king of England in the 16th century, and, um, and he was a Catholic, uh, the whole nation was, and he even you know, was so strong in the faith that, that he was declared a defender of the faith. And uh, then things kind of went a different way, and he wanted to get an annulment of his marriage and couldn't for various reasons, and uh, he ended up breaking away from the Catholic Church. And suddenly, if, if you lived in Great Britain, if you were just a, an everyday Briton, you were not Catholic anymore. Why? Because the king said so. And that was that. Well, then his, his son Edward came along, and they went further in the Protestant direction. And uh, then, then uh, Edward didn't live very long, and then Mary became queen. And, uh, and Mary was Catholic. 
And so if you were British, you were Catholic for your whole life for, you know, what, a thousand years or however long that was. I need to brush up on my history to get the exact dates, but it was a while. And then Henry says, nope, we are not Catholic anymore. And Edward says, still not Catholic. And then Mary's like, actually, wait a second. We are Catholic again. Welcome back. And uh, we'll get in right relationship with Rome and, and with the church, and that'll go well. Well, you know, Mary was around for a while, and then her sister Elizabeth became queen. And was Elizabeth Catholic? She was not. And so if you're British, you were Catholic, and then Protestant, and then Catholic, and now you're Protestant again. But under Elizabeth, Elizabeth was like, okay, this is getting a little bit ridiculous, so we're going to be Protestant with a lot of Catholic flavor. And that's where the Church of England and the Episcopal Church comes from. So if you've wondered, but, but a lot of that came out of, the, they call it the Elizabethan settlement of really trying to chart a middle way. But you can see how crazy that is. That's one period of history that, that really marks that. But, I mean, basically you're at the mercy of your ruler and the laws that, that they create. And, uh, you know, maybe... maybe Maybe you haven't been to, to a country like that. There are countries today where, you know, if you go in certain places, there are things that you can't do if you're on the other side of the border. And, uh, but maybe some of you have been to this kingdom, and, uh, you know, if you're in that kingdom, you play according to their rules. And uh, it's a magical place, but taxation is really high in that kingdom, and so um, it, I, I would love it there, but, you know, there are certain rules that you play by. You play by the rules of the king, and kingdoms reflect the values of their kings. And in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. And that's what he said. This is his first sermon after he comes out of the wilderness being tempted by 40 days following his baptism. And, uh, and this is what he says. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And, uh, and this is how theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it. Not, not just as Jesus announced the kingdom, but who is Jesus? Simply the kingdom of God in person. Jesus brings that new reality, that kingdom, not, it's not a reality defined by borders, but by a person, by him, by his values, by the things that he taught, the things that he did, the people that he welcomed into his fold, and the people that he cared for. And so whenever we pray, thy kingdom come, what we're praying is for God's kingdom to come and for the kingdom to come that has the values that we see in the life, the ministry of Jesus. Praying thy kingdom come is a prayer for God's mercy, for God's justice, and for God's love to reign. Not just whoever is in charge, whoever happens to be in Washington, or whoever happens to be in charge in whatever geographical kingdom we might find ourselves in. But say, God, your kingdom come. Not the kingdom of the place that I'm in, not my kingdom, but yours. And, and we see some really beautiful images of that in Scripture, of what that looks like. Many in the prophets, we see in the book of Revelation as well. This is how the prophet Isaiah puts it. He says, he describes it this way, The wolf will romp with the lamb, the leopard sleep with the kid, calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture, their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion eats straw like the ox." The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens, and toddlers stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God, ocean deep, ocean wide. That's the picture of what God's kingdom looks like. And I don't know if you caught the common theme, but the things that are hanging out together, they eat each other now, right? 
And, and so these are the, the least likely things to get along. You can imagine some people who might fit in that category. They're the least likely, and yet in God's kingdom, they will dwell together in peace. That's the vision we see of God's kingdom, and, uh, and particularly where we find ourselves in the world right now with war in Ukraine. That's a beautiful vision, one that we long for and, and one that seems sometimes almost as distant as a lion and a lamb lying down together. And yet that's the hope that we have in Christ. And whenever we pray that, when we pray thy kingdom come, it's both an anticipation of the future when, when God will bring that into reality for all creation, but it's also an invitation to participate now, an invitation to participate in the kingdom, to recognize that, that if we follow Jesus, if we call him our Lord, we are his subjects today, and we live in his kingdom even now, even if we live in the United States of America or 16th century England or wherever, we participate now whenever we pray, thy will be done. And so what, what are we saying when we say thy will be done? Well, in, in a kingdom, what the king wills is done, right? The, the, the king decides this is what I value and this is what we're going to do, and, and so it's done. And, and so as we pray that prayer, what we're doing, we're placing our wills under God's will. We're saying what you want is more important than what I want. And, um, and all the things that, that I hope for for myself, I'm going to subjugate, I'm going to put below, I'm going to subject those to what you desire. And, and so uh, what, how do we know what that looks like? Well, this is what, what we read about in the Gospels. Um, of course, this is what, what it says, Jesus, a teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And what Jesus answered was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what are we asking whenever we're doing this? We're we're basically asking, how can I share the love of God with the world? How can I embody, embody this? How can I love God with all that I am, with all that I have? And how can I love my neighbor? That's what it looks like to be a subject of the kingdom of God. Because we know the world as it is falls far short of God's will for creation. We don't have to look hard to see that. We know that the world as it is is not the way that God wants it. And yet God invites us to be part of the solution. There are things that we cannot do on our own. There are things that only God can do. But God invites us to step in to, to, be the, to do the things that we can do, the things that God calls us to and the th- things that God empowers us to do. Even sometimes whenever that doesn't, quite line up with the things that we want for ourselves. And so praying thy will be done, it requires us to put the good of others above our own, because that's what we see Jesus do. How did Jesus spend the last night of his life? Washing the feet of others. Do you think that's what he wanted to do? I can think of a lot. If I was like, Brandon, this is your last night on earth. How would you like to spend it? Washing feet does not crack the top 10. And yet that's what Jesus chose to do. He chose to love and to serve because that's who he is. We read about this also in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What does he tell them? He says, do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other, because that's what love looks like, and that's what life in God's kingdom looks like. And whenever we do that, things on earth begin to look a little bit more like they look in heaven. 
And so all of, you know, sometimes whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, you've got the rhythms that you pray it in, right? You know, when to take a breath, you know, when to pause. And, and sometimes those kind of mess us up because we look at like three words and, and we think that's a lot, like a complete sentence. But, but all of the words that we're talking about today, they're all of a piece. They're all of the same thought. And so whenever we pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's all a, a complete thought. What we're praying is when, because when the kingdom comes, God's will is done, on earth as it already is in heaven. What is heaven? Pastor Mark taught us last week. Heaven is where what God wants done is done. And so we're praying for heaven to come to earth. We're praying for God's kingdom to come so that that will be the case here as well. And the disconnect between what God wants for the world and the way the world is will be closed. And so whenever we, we pray that, we're offering ourselves. We're saying, God, your will be done. And, and not only you do it, and then we'll sit on our hands and wait. But you do it, God, and you do it through us. We, we don't only pray the Lord's Prayer. We don't only pray for the kingdom to come, but we join Jesus in the kingdom work. We actually put our prayers into action, and we can be the answer to someone else's prayer whenever we do that. Whenever we don't just pray, but whenever we act as well. Whenever we do the work that we're praying for. Because as we pray that prayer, and I don't know if you knew this, this can actually be a pretty dangerous prayer to pray, right? Because a lot of times, I'm, you know, I'm praying for my will to be done. God, here are all the things that I'd like for you to do quickly if possible, and this is my will. But whenever I pray this line, whenever I pray, thy will be done, I'm saying your will is more important than mine. And not only that, but take me and use me so that your will is done. Let me be a part of what you're doing in the world. Because we can't pray the Lord's Prayer while putting my kingdom and will before God's kingdom and will. I mean, we can, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you can't pray thy kingdom come and then be like, okay, now setting that aside, here, is my, here are the edicts of my kingdom. It doesn't work like that. We're praying, God, your will be done. And, and here's the thing that happens is what God wants is a lot better than things we thought we wanted. But it's difficult. It takes time for us to be shaped and formed to really believe that. This is, uh, this is what the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says about what happens whenever we pray. He says, That in a nutshell is prayer, letting Jesus pray in you, and beginning that lengthy and, off, that lengthy and often very tough process by which our selfish thoughts and ideals and hopes are gradually aligned with his eternal action. As we pray this prayer, as we, as, particularly as we pay more attention to it as we're going through this, our hope is that whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer, that you will do it daily and, uh, and even multiple times per day. But that as you do, you'll think about what you're praying, and it won't just be something that you've said, and you've said the magical incantation, and then everything's okay, but that it will actually shape you and form you so that you will be a part of God's action in the world. And so here's some action steps I want to challenge you to take this week. First, what I just said, continue to pray the Lord's Prayer um, as Pastor Mark taught us in the pattern of the first Christians. Pray it at 9 a.m. at noon and 3. And uh, don't rush through it. And uh, Adam Hamilton says that whenever he was young, he tried to time himself and see how quickly he could do it, and he got under 10 seconds. That's uh, doing the opposite of what the Lord's Prayer is meant to do. But take your time. Actually think about what you're praying and let it shape you. And particularly this week as you pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You might want to emphasize the word thy and remember that it's not your kingdom, it's God's. And it's not your will that needs to be done, it's God's. 
And so remember that. And then as you do that, reflect on where am I putting my will above thy will? Where am I putting my will above God's will? And then ask God to help you fix it. Because it's great to come to awareness of that. Oh, this is fundamentally disconnected. But uh, we want to actually fix that. We want to bring things into alignment with what God wants. To bring our will into alignment with God's will. And then don't just pray, but actually embody the kingdom of God in a concrete way for someone else this week. That may be something big, that may be small. Find some way that you can embody the love of Christ for someone else. And whatever we do, amazing things can happen. There's um, an Episcopal priest who lives in Nashville. Her name's Becca Stevens. And uh, in the late 90s, she started a house uh, called Magdalene House. And it was for women who are survivors of prostitution. And uh, basically, this gave them a safe place where they could live rent-free for women who wanted to get off the streets and escape that life. Um, frequently, there was addiction involved, and so recovery is a part of that. Um, but they, they could come there and have a place where they belonged, where they could share their stories, where they weren't being shaped by someone else, but could actually live in community together. And, and out of that, that ministry came, uh, they started, uh, they recognized that whenever women graduated from the program, they didn't have a way to work. They didn't have any skills that they could use. And so they started their own, uh, basically a company and called it Thistle Farms. And what they made are bath products. Uh, I guess I haven't used any. I've bought them for women in my life. They might work, I'm sure they work great for men too. But, but they make bath products to sell them. And so it's a way that, uh, to fund the ministry, to, to give money to the women so that whenever they graduate, they're not just you know, broke, and, and, but actually have skills. And it's turned into something amazing. They've got, last I heard, over 70 different locations throughout the United States. And, uh, and they chose the thistle, though. And Thistle Farms is the name of the ministry. They th- chose the thistle. Um, it, it, if you've got thistles growing in your garden, is that by design? Like all the gardeners are like, no way. No, that, it, it's a weed. And, uh, but the amazing thing about the thistle is it can grow in places that other things cannot. And so uh, in, in Nashville, along one of the, the roads where you know, a lot of the women who were in the program had, had used to work, uh, Dickerson Pike, that you'd find these kind of broken areas in the road where thistles would be, passing, would be popping up. They can survive in places that many other plants cannot. And what happens whenever they come to maturity? They flower. And if you can get past the, you know, the, our definition of what's a weed, you know, what is a weed? It's something that's growing where you don't want it to be growing. But if you can get past that and see that, you can see the beauty of the thistle, what can survive and then share its beauty with others. And that's what's happened through Magdalene House's ministry. It's what happened through Becca and all the things that she's done. And that's what can happen whenever we say yes, whenever we say thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's kingdom is, God's will is for all of his children to thrive. And we can be a part of that. And so let's pray that together this week. And then let's really listen for how God is calling us to do it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray now the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.